You're listening to Oi Spaceman, a Doctor Who love story. We're a polyamorous husband and wife taking a critical and often socio-political look at all eras of Doctor Who. This podcast often contains spoilers, naughty language, and general disregard for most things Stephen Moffat and other adult content. Hello and welcome to episode 79 of Oi Spaceman, a Doctor Who love story. Uh, I'm, as always, Daniel, and I'm joined by my lovely wife, Shana. Say hello, Shana. Hello! Today we are going to be doing a Series 9 recap, um, as you saw in the uh, kind of the title of this episode, if you downloaded it. Um, but uh, we're also joined by our, our good friend Jessica from the Web of Queer. Hello! Hi, Jessica. Nice to have you here. And uh, the reason, one of the things we really wanted to do is, uh, when we did this Series 9 recap, was to uh, to bring on a, a kind of another voice and to kind of help us to, uh, to kind of talk about this, um, just so that it didn't turn into us just kind of complaining about the same things that we complained about before. Also, I know I invited Jessica specifically because uh, she and I have been talking about um, Series 9 kind of while it was going on, and uh, I've, I've kind of threatened her that she needs to have a rant ready today, so um, hopefully we're going to get a nice, a nice long Jessica rant out of her today. Oh, I'm uh, ready. <laughs> um, but uh, before that, uh, um, so uh, first of all, apologies to the audience. Um, I know we've uh, not posted much in the last couple of weeks. Um, Shana and I both got sick, and Shana actually had laryngitis for a week. Um, which yeah. is, uh, it kind of gets problematic to try to produce a, a weekly podcast when you uh, have personal life issues and laryngitis, you know. No, yeah, audio doesn't work when you can't produce audio. Yeah, no. So, <laughs> uh, so apologies on, on that, but uh, hopefully we're going to get back to our uh, mostly weekly schedule here. Um, and we do have uh, one, at least one piece of news to uh, to at least mention, um, and that is that uh, we actually haven't recorded since the uh, announcement was made that Moffat was leaving and Chibnall was taking over. So I thought we might spend just a minute and kind of talk about uh, how we feel about that. Yeah, am I the only one who has anything to say about that? I might have a response to yours, but I don't have okay. anything like it, it. It's just kind of news to me. Uh, I'm more. Int- I was more interested in watching Twitter react to it <laughs> than actually having an opinion on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I kind of run into the issue where um, I actually recorded for Pex Lives uh, like the day that was announced, and we talked about it there. And then I recorded a whole episode on Who Thirty Seven where we kind of talked about this. So um, I, I've kind of said everything I need to say on other people's podcasts um, just by happenstance. Um, but uh, I, I think we will have at least a brief conversation about kind of what Shana and Jessica has to say about the uh, topic. So uh, Shana, why don't you go first? Um. Well, so you know, our podcast boyfriend Jack Graham tweeted essentially dude the best thing chibnall ever wrote was the first season of uh broad church and that was decent at best so i never finished the first season of broad church i saw some of the first episode a couple i've been meaning to go back and watch it i thought it was actually really interesting so the fact that i disagree with jack makes me have some high hopes but Again, watching Twitter, the big reaction seemed to overall be meh. Right. Um, but I will say, and and this is kind of looped into that, um, while I had the laryngitis, I have been show binging um, Criminal Minds on Netflix and just kind of remembered all of a sudden how bad some really popular mainstream television is. And so I'm going to admit that that has very much colored the way I viewed watching season nine of Doctor Who again, of thinking like, 
what is popular in the U.S.? So that those are my those are my little two cents for the day. Yeah, all right, I... podcast over, right? That's it. Like, that's <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So go ahead, Jessica. I apologize. Yeah, I, I did watch season one of Broadchurch, and I enjoyed watching it. Like, it's it kind of goes where you expect it to go in the end, but I don't think it's a bad conclusion of the story. Like, it's a pretty even watch. Um, even though it gets very tense at points, and you're supposed to kind of stay in the suspended animation of what's really going on in this small town. And it kind of keeps you there pretty evenly throughout the whole thing. So it'll be interesting to watch him, you know, kind of change gears a little bit, because Doctor Who's not a show that's supposed to stay, uh, like, the through line should be the same, like, connect A to B. But the episodes are always supposed to vary wildly in tone. So it, it'll be interesting to see what he does. Oh, no, maybe it'll be like unit era with <laughs> with action by havoc. <laughs> well, um, you know, where kind of where I land on the on the whole Chibnall thing is just that I, I feel like he's he's a safe choice. He's kind of a, mm. a dull kind of like he, he's not going to I mean, I don't know, maybe he's going to surprise us all. And maybe he really will make some like really brilliant Doctor Who. You know, he did the first couple of years of Torchwood were kind of him, uh, you know, is kind of de facto showrunner. So I, I feel like. You know, that, that is not, I don't think the first two years of Torchwood are terrible. Um, and I, and I think a lot of people do think those are terrible. They're and, uh, fun. <laughs> I just, I feel like I'm just kind of waiting for it to happen. You know, I'm just sort of, we still have another year of Moffat to, to talk about. And, you know, then we can talk about Chibnall. That's kind of where I land on this. Um, that's, that's just kind of a, a personal, a personal thing, really. Um, I, but go ahead, Jim. Capaldi has announced that when Moffat leaves, he's leaving, right? That's still up in the air. Uh, oh, nothing okay. uh, Nothing for casting has been announced, either with the new companion or where Compaldi leaves. Yeah, okay, it's so it's general that. theory that he'll leave, but... Oh. Yeah, yeah I mean... Solid. He else writes prob- Capaldi so bad. <laughs> I, I think we... I think... Uh, yeah, Capaldi hasn't announced one way or the other. I think he's made some noises that kind of sound like that, that he's going to leave when, when Moffat leaves. Um, most doctors stick around for three years, and one more year with Moffat, and that'll be three years for Capaldi. And I, I feel like, you know, it, it wouldn't make sense for him to leave at that point and to let Chibnall kind of make his show the way he wants to make it. I don't know. Uh, for for me, the, the bigger news, the thing that's more, uh, because people are, are really annoyed that we're not getting Doctor Who in 2016, except for a Christmas special. Um, for me, that doesn't bother me because I'd rather them make it good than make it fast. You know, I don't want them to uh, to to rush through it. Uh, what annoys me more is that uh, in the U.S. at least, Doctor Who got taken off all the streaming services. Uh, oh God! I'm planning that BBC uh, streaming service, and uh, that really makes podcasting about Doctor Who a lot harder. I'm um, just thank you, BBC. I appreciate that. Um, I think the funniest thing was um, we went to our local breakfast place, and our waitress saw my TARDIS purse and I felt so bad for her. She had literally just started watching with nine and was getting into 10 and she's like, and I really like it. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, you, Oh, and then she didn't get to see anymore. And I was like, I would be so pissed. She's like, I am. Yeah. I just did the same at work. I finally got a colleague to break down and start watching from the 11th hour like a week before they announced they were pulling it from everything. And I, you, you can't expect somebody to, you know, buy a whole season of something they've never watched before. Like just, I don't know. Yeah, it's... no, I mean, so, I mean, that's how we discovered it basically was through streaming services, yeah. um, you know, and, and I think it is, uh, 
I, you know, I understand why they're doing it, why they, the BBC kind of wants all their property to kind of be theirs and not like share it with other, you know, companies. But at the same time, I mean, once that BBC service starts running, I mean, if it's like a reasonably priced, like $8 a month or something, I will absolutely pay $8 a month and be able to just stream all the, uh, all the, uh, BBC shows. Uh, but at the same time, it's, it's really annoying now that, you know, they've just, that we just don't have easy access to it unless we want to, uh, pirate everything. Um, in fact, uh, for me, uh, I'm, I'm less upset about Netflix than I am about Hulu because Hulu had all the, uh, classic stuff or at least a whole bunch of classic episodes. Um, and that was kind of where we had, uh, done our scheduling, uh, for Space Man based on what was available to stream on Hulu. And now that I don't have that, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> it just makes my life a lot harder. So thank you, BBC, for uh, for not allowing me to stream uh, Classic Who on Hulu right now. We are but poor podcasters. Yeah. Anyway, um, any thoughts on any of that, Jessica? Or should we just move on to our Series 9 discussion? Yeah, well, I'd just like to, you know, again, say that streaming is what got me into Doctor Who. I like to say that the internet bullied me into Doctor Who a bit because I kept seeing the, uh, the Tenant slash Yoda meme all over the internet and it's uh yoda saying you know when you're 900 years old you're not going to look as good as you do now and just tenant just over the side of uh one of the cubicles just going really 900 you think that that that's so hard uh i was like what are they talking about yeah the internet finally bullied me into it so i started watching and you know it's sad that other people aren't going to have that experience now i think it is interesting how tuned in the BBC seems to be to the fandom sometimes understanding the power of the Netflix I mean not the Netflix but the Tumblr gif I've been introduced to so many contemporary geek shows because I've had so many fangirl people like just keep posting the same fucking gif and I'm like (laughs) I don't get it I need to watch this apparently because when you ship those two people the entire show is gay um so i need to go watch that now but yeah, yeah it's... you you watched out through all of supernatural once when you were sick didn't you yes yes <laughs> i'm just gonna leave it at that for right now because supernatural and i you know that's a different podcast that's a different podcast <laughs> <laughs> hey you like that female character don't worry she's gonna die real soon mm-hmm. that's it yeah i literally had that conversation about a week and a half ago <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, I I have uh, I have absorbed uh, all I know about Supernatural just through osmosis from the internet, and then from Shana watching it while she was sick for about a week and a half or two weeks. Just it was just on in the house through that entire period, and therefore I know a little bit about Supernatural. I know what I know what Daniel knows about Supernatural, um, and then we should move on. Um, is that when Jared Padalecki is on screen, he's like, "Hey, Moose," and I'm like, "Yes." So there you go for anybody else who watches Supernatural. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on. Let's actually talk about Doctor Who for a little bit now. I don't know if we uh, want to do that on our Doctor Who podcast. Uh, I was kind of enjoying the conversation anyway. But um, yeah, let's dig in. Let's do our Series 9 recap. 12 episodes. I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about the Christmas special. Maybe not. Uh, I'm going to kind of keep this loose. Um, I kind of just want to talk about kind of high points and low points first. Um, Jessica, why don't you get us started? Things you liked, things you didn't like, general impressions. What do you think yeah, about well, series? High point of the series is actually the through line for me. Uh, for you know, Lady Me, Ashilda, uh, just watching her grow from child to immortal, uh, and having you know only four episodes to explore that, but explored very well. 
uh, I think was very interesting. And the fact that her story got to be told by 50% women writers was really cool to me. You know, uh, there's a lot of things in both of the episodes that you know, really resounded with me. Like, okay, that is a point of view that I can actually identify with. So that was nice. Yeah, no, uh, a shielder is definitely kind of the breakout character of, of series nine. I, I, I don't know that anybody could uh, deny that. Um, and, and certainly that's uh, a really interesting character. And a really, uh, I, I'm really glad they went there. I, I hope that we kind of come back to her at some point. Although obviously Maisie Williams, depending on where her career goes, we, we don't know whether she's going to want to come back to, to Doctor Who again, but yeah, we but can when, hope. If she's only spending 10 minutes on Game of Thrones every season. She can certainly come yeah, back to yeah. Doctor Who. <laughs> Dude, and Maisie Williams is a fangirl. She um, is. By the way, she went on Superfruit because she's a fangirl. Anyways, I think I would have to agree, like, the kind of big overarching return to the idea of there being different kinds of immortals i was really happy to have the the alienness alienness of the doctor um and in these stories i i kind of liked because um whereas before the things he said um felt very mean um and just not the doctor uh now it feels more written toward that kind of dry punk rock alien um and i liked that and i liked capaldi's moments of that um everything that leads up to being able to create the ashielder me character um i think that there is some groundwork done in some of the other episodes of just expanding the galaxy again and and talking about things differently but that is definitely um adding a shielder to the universe of doctor who is a positive thing in my book. But yeah, we, we both uh, we we both recently actually watched and reviewed Enlightenment, and that's one of the things that I liked most about that episode is how the Doctor was lumped in with the ether- with uh the Ephemerals. Mm. You know how he isn't eternal, how he does actually have more in common with us than somebody who truly has all of the power in the universe. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, the, one of the great things about Enlightenment is the uh, that feeling that the uh, the Eternals, for for them, the Doctor, we think of the Doctor as this long-lived, immortal, very powerful character, but to them, he might as well just be a slightly larger species of ant, you know, like mm-hmm. it's just, there's no more importance to him than, than to the uh, the other uh, humans or, or whatever, so uh, that that is interesting that's going on, and uh, I, I wish we, I, I hope if a shoulder comes back, we do explore her, you know, kind of what her immortality is and the way that she feels about humanity and such uh, more, because I think that the little hints we get are interesting, but I would like to see them dig into it a little bit more and kind of give her a little bit more of a, a central place in an episode um, where she is kind of this older, more uh, uh, complex character. Um, yeah, and yeah I, no, overall, I agree. Yeah, and like, I love her character because she's not a good guy and she's not a bad guy. You can't just put her in one of those character categories and know exactly who she is. And, you know, she kind of has uh, a little bit of a River Song ability here where you can just show up at any point in her timeline and have a story then. Yeah. You know, you don't actually have to see her. Yeah. You you don't actually have to continue her story after she's run off with Clara. You can meet her much earlier. And what I also love about her, though, is that we don't get to see this much with the River Song character, although we did some in the Christmas special, which we haven't decided whether or not we're talking about, but I guess we kind of are. 
you can if you want to. I don't care. <laughs> um, with a shielder, we kind of get this understanding of the consequences of immortality or the consequences of having this humanity um, mixed with time lordiness, for lack of better words, um, where memory is fallible. And the fallibility of memory as being like the core, like defining character note is really interesting to me. Um, so I think just that character raises all these kinds of interesting questions in the same way that you do when you have some of the classic Doctor Who characters that are not necessarily do the Doctor or the Companions, but these other characters that have this whole life and universe. Yeah, it would be nice to use that part of her story to kind of reflect back to the audience and say, your memory isn't perfect either. Your memory is completely constructed and completely fallible as well. Like I think that's something that we as just humans in general forget, is that our memories are very flawed. So... I, I kind of like the, uh, I think I mentioned this on one of the earlier episodes as Shade and I were talking, that um, one of the things that's interesting about um, a shielder having a finite, kind of infinite lifespan but finite memory is that she almost starts to represent history. She almost starts to represent the way that we think about our own past mm -hmm. and the way that we do forget things and, the you know, like like that she can change over time because she just, because her memory is fallible. But we, we all do that. I, I think you, you, you put a nice finger on that, Jessica, that, you know, we all forget things that we maybe would like to not remember about our past and, uh, you know, reshape who we are based on our circumstances now. And, uh, the fact that, it, the fact that she keeps diaries, that she, that she's writing this stuff down yeah. and that she, like, it's almost like she remembers those things about her history that she chooses to write down and that she chooses to, uh, to keep looking at would, would be, is an interesting angle on it as well. Yeah, that's one of my favorite lines, actually, in Face the Raven, where Clara's like, no, I remember you. And Mii's like, yeah, I've read our conversations. We apparently had a lot of fun talking to each other. Like, <laughs> yeah, It's such exactly. an interesting way to you know, speak about the amount of time that she's actually lived. Yeah, I I just, I mean, and I'm at the point now, too, where I'm like, yes, let's introduce new complex characters that then Big Finish and the Phantom uh, will, ha they'll make their own stories. It's okay. Um, we don't even have to see them on the TV anymore. They're going to take on this whole life of their own um, or maybe get a spinoff. Cross my fingers. Mm. So yeah, uh, we can we can kind of keep talking about a shielder kind of as we as we go on. Um, one of my probably my still one, my favorite episode of the season is probably still the the girl who died episode. So I, I think we we might dig into that here again here shortly. But um, uh, I also know that we're going to ha definitely have kind of an extended conversation about Clara because I think Clara is you know the way that she's treated in this series is a uh, a big part of series nine. But other than that, any other uh, kind of particular things that stand out to you, Jessica, about uh, series nine? That you'd like to mention? Yeah. Uh, another one of my favorite things, actually, is the way the Doctor and Claire interact now. Like, he, they finally dropped all of the sexist remarks about her appearance. Uh, and, you know, even in Husbands, like, River has that line, you don't pay attention to how I look anyways. I'm like, yeah, that's who the Doctor is. The Doctor doesn't notice these things, so stop making these awful, awful jokes from Series 8. You know, but they really they get along the series and they understand each other and they're both trying to help each other out 
you know, and they see each other's flaws, but they don't like, they don't pick on each other because of them. You know, you have, again, Face the Raven, you know, when they're in the TARDIS and Rigsby's like, she's enjoying that too much. And the doctor's like, yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I see that about her. But, you know, they, they, they're definitely really good friends now. And I like that. Yeah, I was, this whole series, I was much more comfortable watching because I didn't feel like the doctor was a bully. Yeah. I was like, oh, thank God. Oh, he's, he's like trying to actually make sense of things. But also just dude, Peter Capaldi. (laughs) And he is just so likable. And I like that they really let him sink into this. Like I said, it, and it feels very um, pointed now. Um, but this very kind of Ziggy Stardust Doctor Who, who is like um, very alien, but then very punk rock at times. And I think that that made this whole series make more sense to me. That dynamic between him and Clara, uh, his kind of way of approaching things. Um, I also like that they let him break the fourth wall a few times. Yes. I actually enjoy that in a show. I know it pisses some people off that he did that. But I actually like having, you know, the show say, no, I know you're actually watching this. And I understand how fandom reacts to these kind of things, you know, and I understand how I'm appearing to you. Like, there's one point where he basically says, and I like an audience. I'm like, yes, you know, it's like that cracking that third, that fourth wall. It's just, it's really fun to me. Yeah, I think I hated it when I saw it at first, but um, it definitely has grown on me. And I liked it a lot the second time around. Um, I like that there is a genuine feeling of, instead of, I'm the doctor, aren't I clever? The doctor actually just being fucking clever. And I appreciate that, where I can get to say like, oh, yes, I see him being clever You don't have to keep talking about how clever he is. Yeah, I can see them trying to use that last year as kind of a rebuilding his ego because he started not knowing who he was at all. Mm. But I think it was definitely pushed a little hard last year. And I like him just being the doctor again. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a much more showing rather than telling element to Series 9 than Series 8. I think Series 8 kind of got mired a little bit in the um, this constant, like, uh, questioning of himself, you know, but not not even done in a like kind of particularly deep way. I mean, I, I would be fine with having a, a very introspective and, and like kind of moodier doctor kind of really exploring his own fa- uh, fallibility. But if you're going to do that, you have to actually do it. That's kind of where I always land on these things. It can't be it, do it, do it or don't do it, but don't kind of do it half-assed is almost, you know, kind of my perspective on some of that. What do we think? Uh, I've seen a lot of people kind of talk about, um, since we're talking about Capaldi, I've seen a lot of people talk about um, how much they admire Capaldi's performance. Like he's do, he's Capaldi himself is doing a great job, but not really liking 12. You know, not liking the Twelfth Doctor, particularly in his portrayal, and I feel like we're kind of all liking Twelve. Is that is that a fair statement to make that we all kind of like that Doctor? I like season nine Twelve better than season eight Twelve. You know, I, I still think that the Doctor, you know, as an entity, has a lot of flaws, but I can track that back to nine, ten, eleven, four, two. Like, and he feels like he feels much more rounded this season. So this this feels much more like what they honestly it, it feels like this season went through a few more drafts and had a few more edits. <laughs> I like 
him as this doctor. I don't think that we have seen this doctor fully formed yet, like you said, until this series. Um, And I like 12 as a doctor, but I also come from a background of comics and comics fandom. I think it's much more acceptable to be like, I really like this character, but I've never seen it written very well. And 12 is kind of like, I really like this doctor, but he's not been quite written to what I would like to see him do yet. Um, And I I got to see some of him do what I would like to see him do. Uh, I think in the past, we've gotten him to have very clever puzzle box moments. The very Stephen Moffat-y, like, you could never have guessed this. Literally, this is a complete surprise twist. Like, there's no way the audience paying attention could have guessed this. But in these episodes, uh, there's much more a focus of the Doctor's thought process. And you can kind of see how he's coming to conclusions. And there's a little bit interiority to him as a character. And I think that that is, is partially why I like him more. He's still kind of a dick sometimes. And he still is very much disconnected. But it feels less, like you said, sexist. <laughs> and well, just, just not having him make fun of Clara's looks like all the time was was is is a welcome change. It's almost like just taking that element out just makes me like him a lot. Yeah. Whereas I mean, I I rewatched Listen, which is one of my favorite episodes of New Who. Quite honestly, I rewatched that for Dan Graham's podcast, and I was I I had forgotten. I you're like watching it in isolation, and then suddenly like watching just the consistent making fun of her looks from Capaldi, even in that episode, just in that one episode, was uh, just a slap in the face to some degree. Um, and it, you know, rewatching. And you wonder nine, why I don't like it that much. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I completely understand. I mean, I, you know, it's sort of like one of those things where I like it despite those things, but then not having it in series nine definitely seems to elevate series nine. I think, I think yeah. most people are, I don't know, uh, maybe we can get this, this thought. Uh, do we think that series nine is better than series eight overall? Or do we think series eight was a better series overall? Series, I like series nine for its consistency, but I think a lot of that consistency is because of how many two-parters we had. Like, we only actually have seven stories instead of 12, you know, and it's a lot easier to, you know, write a story for seven episodes instead of 12. I think, yeah, I think season nine is better than season eight. I think I enjoy it more. Your thoughts yeah. on that, Shana? Yeah, I bar none think that it's it's a better season. I think where I land on it is that the high points of Series 8 are better than the high points of Series 9 overall, but the low points of Series 8 are much, much lower than the low points of Series 9. Like, like we've almost just compressed the amplitude of the quality of the episodes mm-hmm. to some degree. Um, because I think the, you know, for me, uh, the, the worst of Series 9 is Sleep Milk, which is bad just because it's boring and silly, as opposed to being bad because it's, you know, racist and, uh, you know, uh, sexist, for instance. Um, and that's kind of my overall feeling with uh, with series nine is that there it, it doesn't have it has a pretty high floor I guess is sort of you know, there's there's very little in it that I just want to like smack it upside the face and go why are you doing this to me <laughs> I don't I don't feel like I'm I'm like you know trapped in a room with a uh, with a lunatic with a series nine whereas some of series eight can felt that way. yeah sleep no war is a very funny episode uh, especially in fandom because it gets such a low rating but m- most of the story I like. Uh, I like kind of the way it's constructed backwards. 
uh, and Josh over on the Web of Queer loves this episode. Uh, yeah, I think he would probably he, he like he wants to defend this episode to people and go, "No, you don't understand. This is okay. why it's awesome." Okay, but he acknowledges the flaws. Brain farting. Which one is is Sleep No More? Uh, Sleep No More's uh, the found footage. Uh, the uh, eye dust monster. Oh, the eye dust monster. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's not really like the monsters that he likes in that episode it's how the story gets constructed like he likes the behind the scenes yeah kind of piece to it so yeah it, it's really funny like just watching fandom pick it apart and me going no i know somebody that loves this <laughs> i i just, I just kind of let it sleep no more like i just don't care like it, it's not even yeah. you know and that, that's kind of like i just i i understand that like people like josh it's made for fans who are going to like it on the level that Josh likes it. I have no problem with that being a thing that exists. <laughs> I will just never watch it again. That's just sort of where I land on it. Yeah, you know? no, we did not watch that again. I actually would have wouldn't have minded it. Um, you know, I think part of it is I, I don't think that the particularly stylized episodes seem to do as well right now. I don't think that they're doing that kind of mashup of genres um, particularly well. Um, so the idea of Sleep No More being almost a classic horror story, um, but set in Doctor Who, it, it it just still didn't feel quite right. It didn't quite catch the notes of either genre well, I think was our issue or my issue now looking back at it. Um but especially when you have so many other episodes in the series that are dealing with like issues of slave races and you know all the other stuff we get uh there are definitely some episodes that just don't matter as much to me yeah it definitely is the only episode in the series that has that kind you know what people like to say anthology feel to it where it's doctor who as a horror you know cuz yeah. last year you had doctor who as a heist story and things like that so yeah. Yeah, it it definitely it was going to stick out either way because it wasn't part of the two parters. It was a highly stylized one, but I, I find the reaction to it very interesting. Yeah, it, going kind of along that theme, the story that everybody seems to love that I just don't get. You were gonna do this. <laughs> well, I was I was gonna go here eventually, so go yeah. ahead, go ahead. Yeah, the the story that everybody kind of loves that I just I couldn't get into was actually Heaven Sent. Like, you get halfway through that story, and I'm like, I know where this is going, and I'm so bored. Like, it's not a bad story, and Capaldi does it brilliantly. Like, his acting throughout it is just top-notch, mm. and the directing is awesome, but the just the plot of it, it doesn't feel like it has one. There's, like, there's nothing to it. Like, it's just, you know it's going to happen over and over again. And that's just the story, is that he gets stuck in a time loop. <laughs> like... <laughs> It just, it feels so silly to me. Like, everything about this is good. It's just, it wasn't for me at all. Like, I like the doctor bouncing off of people, and there there weren't any other people in it. It's, well, it's, it's also... Go ahead, sorry. It's also just, why spend so much time doing that one thing? And yes, his performance is amazing. and that And that's kind of one of the things. Like, I still like this doctor because... I think that the performance makes it work a lot of the time, um, which is kind of, it's the Sarah Jane defense. You know, sometimes it's problematic, but because of their performance, I think I could argue other ways. I totally understand disliking that. I, 
I, I think that I almost like every episode I can understand reasons to dislike it, but every episode I did have moments that I did like something. Um, and I could not say that about the previous um, season or series. So I think that that's why I, I feel better about things in general. I, I, I find, uh, and this is something that I just run into with uh, Moffat's two parters is that is the first part is really just, a bunch of going around in the circles always you know i mean you look at you look at uh not necessarily always but certainly like uh, dark water was kind of you know a lot of um throwing out ideas and a bunch of cool images and then ultimately it just kind of lends to um oh and then misses the master and then we do an episode it's kind of just spinning its wheels for 45 minutes uh the Magician's Apprentice is really just throwing a bunch of cool images at us, and, and eventually we get to the point of like, oh, we're on Scaro, Scaro, and then that's the whole point of, of that episode. Um, I think uh, Heaven Sent is just a little more obvious about it, personally. Um, yeah, I would have can... liked, I would have liked Heaven Sent a lot more if the Doctor was somehow changed by this experience, you know? Mm-hmm. If, you know, if, if, and I, and I said this in our episode, so I apologize, I'm just repeating myself, but, you know, the Doctor at the end of face the raven when he if he had been, just been teleported to gallifrey at the end of that episode and then he just walks out and then he goes to and he does a spaghetti western thing there's almost no difference in terms of i mean there's a couple lines of dialogue you'd have to change but you can almost completely excise that episode in terms of like the way the doctor feels about things and that that's that's i think the real falling down of that like there's just no point to it it just feels like it's just kind of moving us in circles for no reason sorry jessica go ahead i talked over you no it's okay you said you were talking about stephen moffat two-parters and that, like going all the way back to the library two-parter it does feel like stephen writes the last two minutes first and then he's like okay but how do i get there and he just kind of backfills it in well but isn't that how he writes most things it's like either <laughs> it starts with the title or it starts with an ending. Like, like I know I want this to happen because that would be really cool. Okay, how's the way that we make that happen? Um, let's tease that that's going to happen to the fandom, and then we'll steal some idea from them. <laughs> one one thing Which, that I've uh, one yeah. thing I, I actually do know I, I had uh, heard from someone who had collaborated with Stephen Moffat. I forget exactly where I where I read this, but um, Moffat is actually well known for not being able to write non sequentially. He can only write. He he can only write start to finish, like he can't write it out of order, which I think is oh. interesting that we know that about him. That, that like hmm. his collaborators say he, you know, for someone who is so at least superficially kind of built around like kind of subverting tropes and kind of treating uh, these kind of ideas and, and playing with genre, the fact that he has to write sequentially, that he can't write out of order, um, he really says something I think where, about him as a writer. He really doesn't know where he's going. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fascinating. Fascinating stuff. Yeah. Well, it just just to hang our hat on uh, Moffat and his writing, uh, I also, and don't quote me on this because I don't remember where I heard it from, but the Zygon two-parter, uh, mm-hmm. apparently the last like 30 minutes of the second episode is all Moffat because how it was going to end was even worse than how it did end, apparently. Um, and I can't, like, again, with Capaldi being an absolutely brilliant actor and doing his job and getting the emotional beats for that. But I can't stand that speech at the end. Well, like, let's I talk can't... about that. Let's yeah. talk about that, Jessica. Go ahead. Like, tell, because I, I, I don't think I'm going to disagree with you. I actually, I actually kind of, uh, 
the, the way that fandom has fallen over itself to uh, about that speech is, is kind so of wait. Which speech is this? Because we all know my my memory is shit. Yeah, this is they're down in the black archives and. They have the two boxes open, and it's oh. the status quo speech. Like, why can't you guys just get along? Like, it. Go ahead, go ahead, Jessica. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I know, I know. I've got another rant I'm gonna get out of you here. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I. I don't. I think the whole time. I, how many times did I have you pause us watching that? It's like <laughs> I can't watch it straight through because I'm just like, <laughs> so like, go for it. Well, especially on our podcast, where almost immediately uh, we identified with the Zygons, we identified with the other, and we put ourselves in their place really quickly, you know, as part of these people that have to stay closeted and have to stay hidden so that people don't actually kill us. Yeah. Um, you know, and then to, at the end of it, for the doctor, who I see, you know, as, like you're saying, he's punk rock. He's yeah. not about the ordinary. He's definitely about stepping out of your boundaries. And you know, I see Doctor Who was that kind of show. Doctor Who is not a status quo show. Yeah. For all of the flourish that that speech has and all of the colorful language and the imagery that it's just pounding you with, you know, the conclusion is status quo. The conclusion is you guys need to stay hidden so these people don't kill you. And then they wipe Kate's memory so Kate doesn't even remember the lesson. That these people should, we should all live in peace. And everybody goes about their merry way. Like, no. Like, the Zygons should not accept that. The Zygons shouldn't be like, okay, I'll stay hidden. There's a point in the episode earlier where a Zygon gets outed and commits suicide. Yeah. That is what you were telling people that they have to continue to live with. And it's it breaks my brain that a show that I think is can be so counterculture is so status quo in it. And everybody loves it. And like it. <laughs> well, and it was really hard for me to see in that episode, especially at that time period, to not have the Black Lives Matter movement in mind and to not have the growing awareness of trans suicide and um, trans hate crimes. Like it is so socially unaware of some of the connections that it's making that or i mean it's aware and it thinks that like yes the real answer is to just forget that there's any difference it's very much a you know colorblind for is the answer for racism i found it very much like moon abortion um, Peter Harness, Peter Harness's other episode, yeah, yeah, where it is a you know white man walks into a room, says, "Here's how the situation's gonna go." You know, one of the things that's interesting is that you know I got I got messages like private messages on Twitter and, and a couple of emails where people were like, after the first part of the Zygon two parter aired, like, "Oh man, this is like written for Oi Spaceman, like this is like actively political Doctor Who, like you guys are gonna love this." And, you know, it's like, it's not just that they deal with ISIS. It's like they have to deal with ISIS in, like, a, a an interesting way. Or they have to do that. Like, it's not that it's political that we like. It's that it's political in ways that we like, that we like. Yeah. Um, when, it, when it's saying to an oppressed population, you know, you guys need to sit down and shut up and, like, let the uh, middle class white British people uh, just live their lives in peace without dealing with your crazy weird blobbiness. Um that's not a message that we that we embrace here on Noise Spaceman. Just to let people know if there is any doubt from our listening base. I, and I mean, I 
I think I genuinely remember tearing up at the description of the the child Zygon getting shot for exposing themselves or not the child it was just a no it was it was a child it was a child you know it was it was a young it was kind of a youngling that was learning to control its uh shape-shifting powers yeah and it like exposed itself as zygon briefly and then apparently got killed for it you know because for for being this alien thing he looks scary now like you take all the doctor who off of that and you talk about that and that is every story of like black man killing in america right now i mean that's the black kid with a with some skittles yeah the black kid with the hoodie it's also Uh, like the matthew shepherd story you know there's puberty and all these things are happening and you're the things you're trying to hide from everybody slips from a little bit and people find out who you are and suddenly you're in very real danger you know it's you know i'm not trying to push the train stuff to the back because that's not actually what i'm trying to do here but you know you you there's so many ways that somebody in the queer community can identify with the zygon uh intersectionally the zygon is yeah i mean you said it earlier the the zygon is the other and Mm. you don't want your hero to be on the oppressive side of the other um, especially when you are an other who is looking for representation. Um, so that was, yeah, that was very hard to watch. That may be why I don't remember it very well, because I, I, yeah, that was very hard to watch. You know, Doctor Who is, it exists in this weird place because it's always been, um, you know, over its 52-year history, uh, it very often has kind of radical politics and is very counterculture and very uh, much a, a on the side of the oppressed, whoever they are. But it's also a product of like literally state-run television in Britain. And so it, it, it both represents these very middle-class establishment values of the BBC, while at the same time having these like more subversive messages like buried within it. And I, I feel like that you definitely see that, that paradox in the Zygon two-part. Because it's it's very obviously the the writer Harness and then to a lesser degree Moffat is trying to deal with these kind of bigger issues, but ultimately it seems like it it has to land on this place of uh, embracing the status quo, which is the exact opposite of what we really want it to do. And uh, it's it's it feels very like 2015 to me in this, in this weird way. Like it's very much this is where the culture is in 2015. We're going to talk about these things, but ultimately we can't piss off the middle class white people. You know. Yeah. Um, there's an old joke, uh, you know, it's, uh, I think it's Stephen Colbert on The Daily Show back during the uh, one of the, uh, I think the 2004 presidential election is, uh, you know, we're fine with the gay people existing as long as they don't do anything that makes Iowans feel uncomfortable, you know, mm. and that, that seems to be the, the point of the Zygon two-parter. Just don't make the, uh, don't make the Iowans uncomfortable and, uh, and we'll, 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 we won't beat you in the head with a rock. That's, that's kind of the, yeah. the point there. Yeah. Yeah. But Which, again, go ahead. there's also some really wonderful writing done. The sheriff, Zygon, who um, the Briggs daughter shoots, uh, who has that really touching speech about the child being shot. There there are so many moments within that story that I'm like, oh, they had an opportunity to make this the exact opposite of what they were doing, but they didn't. And maybe that's why it's... it's frustrating as it is for me you have the you have the piece at the beginning of the first part where you know as soon as these people you know look like family the person that's piloting the drone can't shoot them and it's so humanizing to go wait a second these other 
are actually part of my family. They actually also belong to my society. So I can't hurt them. You know, use that as your focus. You know, use the, these people are less different than I think they are angle that the first part of this tried getting to. Like you have, you know, the evil mother bringing them all into the church and stuff like that. You know, but there's so many little pieces in here that could be just tweaked a little bit, and the story goes in a completely different direction. Yeah, and it it feels like uh, I mean there there is so much to love about that. I mean the Osgood character we haven't even talked about Osgood and how oh, yeah. and how and how great um, Ingrid Oliver is in those scenes and kind of the 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 metaphor of the uh, you know it doesn't matter if I'm Zygon or human you know and, and maybe she's part both or whatever um, well, you know the, there, there's some the liberal grassroots movement that is actually more correct than the doctor um, like I mean I, I don't know. I love her, and the fact that that's the point they're making with her is like, we leave that to the progressives. They'll keep it going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love how she just never tells. That is not the point of me. That is not why I exist. And if you still think that that is an important question to ask me, you have not learned your lesson yet. Yeah. And it it's very powerful, especially in this episode, to be telling the doctor he doesn't get it yet. And and that's, I mean, that's the one moment where I think, like, maybe this episode does get it, but it's not quite enough for me to like it. <laughs> but that, that one moment, I am like, yes. And I, I, and I think that that is a great example of what I said earlier, of their whole episodes that I'd be really uncomfortable, and then there'd be a moment that would just shock the hell out of me like that, where um, you have the Osgoods basically getting to echo... Again, like the trans movement, basically, like it, you know, you don't get to know what my genitals are, so fuck you. Um, you, you know, there's so many contemporary parallels to that moment that I really love. But if you take that and stretch it out to the rest of the episode, it's like, I don't want to talk about it. Um, yeah, if, if the point of the episode was the doctor doesn't get it, that, that would be awesome. Uh, but the problem that I have with that is that the doctor's speech happens at the very end. And that's what fandom has grabbed onto. And that's literally, like, that's the high point for a lot of people. You know, it's not even just the fact that the doctor thinks this. It's the fact that a lot of fandom thinks this. And that's yeah. that's where I really get uncomfortable. Like, a show can show me all of the most ridiculous, horrible things in the world. But if fandom identifies with those horrible things in the world, like, that's that's where I get uncomfortable. Well, well, the episode is definitely embracing this idea that, I mean, you know, it's, it's treating the doctor's perspective as the right and moral perspective, mm -hmm. you know, um, it's, it's treating this, you know, come on the Zygons, you need to learn to uh, kind of put up and shut up and just go with the program and, and be quiet because, you know, human beings aren't ready to see you in your blobby goodness yet. It's expecting, uh, you know, it's embracing those, you know, kind of that, that neoliberal consensus values. Um, and uh, which, I mean, I guess the kind of thing is like, well, of course it does. It's the BBC. It's going to embrace those values because those are the values of the broader culture. But we just, it's easier to ignore that that's what's going on when the show isn't making explicit political points. Like it, it is making that and then, of course, the fact that the show is embracing that and then fandom also embraces, you know, this is like, look at how, look, you know, really, the whole point is that people just need to learn to get along. And, uh, you know, it just speaks to how marginalized uh, 
queer people and and uh, people of color and and such really are within this fandom, mm-hmm. and uh, that's a lot of what this podcast is, is trying to explore in a lot of ways. So yeah, um, and if like if even if the moral at the end of this is people just need to get along, and you were pointedly saying that at the oppressors and not the oppressed, mm-hmm. the the story completely flips. You know, he should be yelling at Kate. He's, yeah. She shouldn't be yelling at, at Bonnie. Like, that's the whole point. Like, that's that's kind of where I landed on it to begin with is, yeah. uh, you know, uh, think about um, the Third Doctor era. You know, how often the Third Doctor is basically yelling at the Brigadier for being an idiot. Like, this should, this he really should have embraced that more. And, and if, if all of that lecture that the Twelfth Doctor gives to Bonnie, if it had been directed at, at the very least at both of them, you know, it should have been Kate and Bonnie together. You guys are, are both being idiots although really it should have just been at kate like kate is really you know embracing this ability to destroy the zygons as much as bonnie is embracing the ability to destroy the humans and uh yeah i yeah you know (laughs) yeah i understand telling you know having the oppressed people not actively kill the oppressors that feels okay to me like you know allow me to get angry though allow me to get mad that this is my lot in life yeah i think it's much better done and i mean I just, again, this is always the issue that I have with Moffat era, is that I think of other episodes that I feel like have addressed this better. Um, Some within Moffat era, uh, the Silurians, for example. Oh, the uh, the Hungry Earth two-parter? The Hungry Earth two-parter, yeah. I oh, I, I rewatched that recently. That has real issues. It has <laughs> that, real If issues. anything, that's even worse than the Zygon two-parter. Is it, is it worse? <laughs> Maybe I'm remembering it wrong. But, okay. So, really what I'm thinking of is I, I always think back to David Tennant because, you know, he's he's so much my doctor in so many ways. But that moment, and I don't even remember what it is, where he, he talks about the 21st century as this amazing time when Earth realizes that there's a larger world and we're going to make contact with aliens and how we deal with that them is going to shape our history and our ability to spread. Like, it's very hopeful and interesting. Um and very much that accepting like broadness idea of like let's go out and explore whereas the alien presence on this in this episode is treated just completely differently and by the doctor tra- by the story by um yeah everyone mm-hmm. so yeah and you can trace that the doctor being hopeful back to the ninth doctor you can trace that yeah this is where human, you know, this is where everything changes. That's literally a Torchwood line. Yeah. Like the show has embraced the fact that humanity is going to deal with these things. And it's just, it's frustrating that it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's leave behind that Zygon two-parter as, as much, you know, high points and low points. I mean, there, there are some real high points of the series in that one and some real low points. Um, I really want to dig into Clara. I think this is, this is the time to dig into Clara. Um, now that my blood pressure's up, <laughs> how, how 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 we how we feel about Clara and in general and in series nine, the way we said goodbye to her, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Let's let's start with you, Jessica. Yes. Tell me, how do you feel about Clara in general in series nine? You know, I I think we might have a a nice conversation about to happen. Yeah. So Clara's character overall, I like. I like how you know she's presented as her own person. She's not asking permission to do things she's just acting with agency especially at the end um 
you know, she really gets to determine her own path. Uh, the problem I have with Clarica's character is how they completely sidestep how her queerness. Like, they tease it, but they never confirm it. Yeah, and it's, it's so frustrating to have a character on television in such a popular show, you know, have part of their identity always be a joke. Always. You know, always. Like, back to the asylum. Uh, she uses, you know, she's on the loudspeaker and she's trying to distract Rory from being scared. And she uses a quip about her being bisexual to distract him. And then you have the Jane Austen thread throughout series nine mm-hmm. where, you know, and like the last thing she says about it is, well, you decide. You get to define who I am. It's like, no. <laughs> For a yeah. character that has spent the entire, her entire run identifying who she is and making statements about who she is and you know i'm not the bossy bitch i'm just in charge of my own life and then to constantly being like but maybe it's so passive and like there are people out there that haven't even noticed it they just that's just a joke they see in popular culture all the time so they it just goes right over their head it's not even a thing it's like it's Schrodinger's queer character, right? Yes. You know, it's like depending on whether you open the box or not, Clara is queer or not. You know, and then uh, you know, I, it's and and I mean, I I guess I I keep trying to think of I forget who it was that is a fan, but says like they believe basically everything is meta commentary in the show, and I mean, even I'm I'm like, okay, so is this a meta commentary on like? female character building and identity building and i'm like no no because you know what like i am a cis femme queer woman uh who is exploring my own sexuality for the first time kind of right now and i really should identify with this character more i should really not be looking at her and just being like eh, maybe <laughs> yeah and it's, I, it's even if it's ahead, like Jessica. Even if it's like some sort of meta commentary, which right. whatever that actually means. Um, but even if it's like that, the show did that to River as right. well. Right. You know, she had she supposedly has had married women and she's had multiple relationships at the same time. But at the end of that conversation, you get the feeling that all of those relationships were a means to an end. Yeah. You know, not the fact that she wanted to explore having relationships. Right. with a bunch of different people or enjoyed the company of women you know it none of it feels like you can put a stamp on it and say okay that was a legitimate relationship you know nothing sticks no. and it's very frustrating well it, it is it is like a i mean i think that clara's uh queerness or you know kind of lack thereof that whenever she she makes a reference to it, it it's as a joke and it's as a joke it's 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 the lipstick lipstick lesbian kind of concept it's the male gaziness of it like you know oh i'm just doing this to titillate rory and distract him and then you know the the line about kissing jane austen she's a great kisser and like we're supposed to as as the you know presumed straight male audience you know like imagine clara making out with jane austen and how hot that would be like and that's the level of it you know the kind of teasing reference to you know i'll fight you for Maisie williams i'll fight you for her shoulder is this such a, uh, you know, it feels very ladnag. It feels very like, you know, poking the ribs, you know, for the for the presumed male audience. It also they... just doesn't feel consistent with the character. Sometimes she's like a to- total sexual bro, 
and sometimes like she is completely non-sexual presented I don't know I I, she feels so half-baked as a character and I like her so much I want to like her so much but there are so many things that are just not consistent not developed not followed through with just hinted at that a lot of her character ends up feeling like a joke to me I'm echoing what you're saying, but yeah. this is this is the same show that gave us Captain Jack, and you know Captain Jack is like at least in Doctor Who, not less so in Torchwood, much less so in Torchwood, but in in Doctor Who, Captain Jack is aggressively pansexual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a show that will em- that has embraced that in its past, and the idea that we can't even give us we can't even create a explicitly queer Clara that we can't just say yes she's queer even if we're never going to see it on screen or whatever that it has to be a joke it has to be treated as that way it just it just feels like such a failure in the show to bring it up but then to always bring it up as a joke and to always bring it up as a uh something we're supposed to leer at as opposed to something that's legitimately a part of her character i mean even the last line that she has you know the uh the is you know take that how you like to rigsy mm-hmm. like she's saying to this to this you know teenage boy essentially or this young man you know yeah if you want to think about me making out with jane austen you can or not your choice yeah and again look at me i'm so naughty you know yeah Um, and that conversation she's distracting him with that line she's using it as a way to back out of an uncomfortable conversation yeah women use their sexuality as a weapon Um, <laughs> right. you know, hold just, on, should we talk about, hold on, are we talking about River or Clara right now? No, yeah, you know, it just, like, there were some times where the pansexuality of uh, Jack, or even John on Torchwood, gets a little bit out of control for me. You know, there's there's a line about think, finding a poodle sexually attractive, which literally the worst thing you could say yeah uh that's no that's not what pansexuality is at all that's not even omnisexuality is at all which the show made up uh like you know you the show fundamentally does not understand this you know from you know in torchwood suddenly jack just wants to hang out with the guys like that's all that happens there you know earlier on you know we we have uh vastra and jenny relationship i think is completely broken uh the, mm-hmm. so one-sided that relationship is you have the joke about susan the horse you have a passing mention after that like where um amy and rory are at a lesbian wedding which apparently goes completely fantastic but you only see one of them and it happens for like five seconds in the show it's one of the the doctors you know pulls them away from a situation pieces like they're yeah. not even we finally cast story. a trans actress we are going to cast her as a um synthetic humanoid who gets referred to as it oh, and who is like who who has issues with uh under with uh, expressing her sexual desires towards another character oh. and is uh overly aggressive towards another character it's, i yeah. i can't even really i i just can't i part of where i land on this and and i've just I, I trying to just kind of say you see other shows um at least here in the US you know there there are other shows that do this so much better and trying to like acknowledge that that Doctor Who is just it's so bad about these issues right now i mean and it just is i mean i just i i have such a hard time giving it slack because it should you know for the fan base that doctor who has and for as as loud as we are about this and the number of queer people that really 
embrace the kind of general idea of Doctor Who and this kind of countercultural narrative, and yet for it to be so aggressively straight white middle class dudes all the time right. is so disappointing in this show. And I'll be honest, you know, I've I've kind of tried to take a step back from this issue a little bit and, and take a step back from the show a little bit over the last couple of weeks we weren't recording. And I just started like, why why do I care so much that Doctor Who should do this? Why do I why can't I put my energy into another show? Like why do I want Doctor Who to be so progressive on these issues? And it's because the show has it in there. I mean it's it's such a part of the subtext of the show that it's important that Doctor Who embrace this. And yet it doesn't. And it's it's so frustrating for me. Yeah, that's one of the things that I'm kind of been mulling over in my brain. Like, if Doctor Who was actually the show I wanted it to be, would it still be something the BBC would put on the air? Like, well, I and think honestly, so. My, I got my answer uh, because they censored Steven Universe. Oh, no. You know? I, I haven't I seen mean, that, like, but I hear a lot of good things. So. I always mention this show um, because it is, just to use... A, an example it is a show that uh, just you know it makes non-issues of issues uh in genuine ways um so there are all these kinds of conversations that are had about what is love what is family um what is friendship what is you know really heavy really heavy stuff gender identity all of that kids well arguably a kid show it's on cartoon network um but yeah there is um there was a scene that when it went to the bbc got censored uh technically i, I just looked that up just to make sure it wasn't the bbc that did the censorship it was cartoon network in the uk it was not the bbc okay well so let's talk about it as bbc perhaps responding to the general perception of the uk as a market then um I mean, is I, and this is a question maybe I have for our listeners, you know, is the UK more conservative, like that much more conservative? I see a lot of television over here where it's not really on mainstream television where these things are happening. Like Cartoon Network is adjacent to mainstream, but it's not NBC. And the stuff that Netflix is putting out recently has been really, really, really good. Like Sense8 is fucking brilliant i love that show to death yeah um but it's not network television and the bbc is probably the closest to network television that they have i, I just i try to imagine like would the big bang theory do this you know would would uh you know but we have modern family which is 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 kind of you know at least it's playing at these ideas even though it's, it's doing it well and that's why i brought up at the beginning of the episode i've been trying to i've been re-watching Criminal Minds and. For some reason, that is a kind of show that I can just be like, oh, God, this is so bad, and still watch it. And I look at it, and I, I think of just how racist some of it is, how, you know, mental illness is just treated horribly. It, yeah, there's I... so many just badly treated things, but it's just part of that show. And I accept it because I'm like, well, it's it's a mainstream TV show. Well, and it's like, if I don't take it seriously, I could just sit and watch it, right? But you can't, because, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I feel like Doctor Who is trying to play both sides of the card right now, and I think that um, it's failing. <laughs> it, it's and, and that's overall what we, I, I, I think my ultimate commentary just keeps being, is it just doesn't feel consistent. 
there are moments that I like, there are moments that just come short. Um, but I, I really like Peter Capaldi. <laughs> yeah, I think back to when I was watching Numbers on television and how uh, much I enjoyed that show. Uh, and, but when I think back to it now, I'm like, that show's literally just about profiling. It's literally saying profiling works. And I'm like, I, how did that message get on the air? Like, how could we have let something like that get so popular? You know, it's... Well, even better, how about 24? 24 was this huge show for years mm. and was explicitly pro-torture. I mean, mm-hmm. what's just, just absolutely, yes, torturing people is a good thing for us to do. Yeah, this is what and, we do. We do it all the fucking time. Right, and, and not treated it. I mean, like, the way that we, you know, there are these evil brown people who are out to, like, nuke our cities, and the only way we're going to get them uh, to, to not nuke our cities is by torturing. And that was the entire point of 2070. It's justifying these Bush-era uh, war on terror tactics. Mm-hmm. Uh, horrifying, you know? And so uh, here in America, we are not, uh, you know, immune to this you know let's no, not but, let's and, not pretend but, like this is unique to doctor who or to the bbc no but what you just said i think it's the fact that by presenting popular culture as like okay it, it's the fact that you know we don't side with the zygons um that this is the justification for you know not having to necessarily side with the queer folk you know, this is the justification for not necessarily siding with the, you know, maybe maybe you side more with the All Lives Matter movement. Uh, <laughs> but that's what makes you mad about the fact that Doctor Who is not towing the line as we feel it should, because it does, if, if it's not pushing the buttons that we want it to, if it's not meeting the potential, it feels like a justification for why it's not there yet. Yeah, it's it's it is it's very frustrating that a show that I do feel is so counterculture, especially during the Tenet era, like Tenet and Donna, like the whole yeah. season was these people are different, but that's okay. Like that's literally the message I get out of the Donna season, and it's well the Ninth Doctor era, the Ninth Doctor era. I mean that year is so explicitly political mm-hmm. in so many ways, um, and I, I agree with you that the that series four is, and then. I think Moffat is just fundamentally disinterested in these topics. I, I think he just doesn't care. I think when I people think complain Moffitt about it... I think is a bright, privileged douchebag. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, that, that's kind of the point I'm making. He's a, he's a middle class, upper middle class, rich white guy who uh, is works in a creative field. I think he has, I mean, we know for a fact he has gay friends. You know, Mark Gatiss, he was best man at, at uh, Paul Cornell's wedding and, and that sort of thing. Or yeah, but gay isn't the that. same fucking thing as queer. I, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm not. You know. I'm just saying that. Like he just. He just doesn't have any interest in exploring these topics in Doctor Who, and he's. He's just always going to take the side of the. You know, kind of nerdy white guy, and he, those, those are the stories he wants to tell. He's. He's ultimately a sitcom writer, and he's not interested in exploring these things. And that's the fundamental thing where I'm like, and Moffat will be gone, and maybe Chibnall will not really explore these things either. But at least he's not Moffat anymore, and we can. You know, maybe. Chibnall will try to explore some of these things. Yeah, maybe we'll find know. something else to complain about, at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, it, the whole Moffat is a feminist thing is... I, I don't understand that. Because it, basically, it that argument ends up boiling down to he's the lesser of a couple of evils. And being not as bad as somebody else is not the same thing as being good. 
Yeah. yeah. Like I, this the season, oh, it had more female writers and female directors. But that doesn't mean it's actually inclusive. You know, we had two of each for a thirteen run series. Like that those well, the number is significant, but because it's not actually equal. Well, well and Star Trek Star Trek the Next Generation had a female script editor in nineteen ninety. You know, that's twenty five years ago. Doctor Who has still not done that, except for Verity Lambert at the very beginning. <laughs> so so the idea that like I mean the number of female writers on Doctor Who can be counted on one hand over fifty two years of, of televised stories. The the new adventure novels and stuff are better. But you know, the the idea that like having two female writers should be like something we applaud is just ludicrous, you know, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But we we on Web of Queer we boiled it down to okay, thank you, keep going. You know, it's, this isn't a stopping point. This isn't like, okay, we made progress. No, making progress was, you know, getting same-sex marriage finally legalized throughout. But that's progress. That's not the end solution. You know, it's it's a stepping point to the goal. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, yeah. yeah. It's, Go ahead, <laughs> yeah it, it's just really difficult. It's, it's really difficult to talk about. Um, because when I, I think for me the hardest thing is to then also have other shows on the air right now that are going after the same audience. Um, you know, again, I'll just say Steven Universe. There are others, but that is a that are addressing these issues and are addressing them well and are. Um, exciting the tumblr sphere in the same way that doctor who wants to um but also seems to take advantage of um and even when it's trying to be progressive i it just doesn't feel genuine right now i'm i'm hoping to look for some more genuine feeling poo no just like i i think my thoughts do just boil down to the fact that progress is not progress needs to keep going like you don't stop because you made forward progress you know if your goal is to get to new york and you've made it to boston you you haven't met your goal yet like yeah you've made progress to your goal but you haven't gotten there yet and i i want to see better representation uh like the season we noticed like on our podcast we stopped talking about how the women characters actually equaled the men characters because it just became normal. It just became a thing that actually happened on the show where they mm-hmm. cast and wrote really good women roles. And it just, it became normal. It's not normal for queerness yet, you know? No. And like, you need people behind the scenes pushing that, you know, it, it can't just be me yelling at a wall. <laughs> I think when we look at, you know, systems of oppression as it were it's how, how do you get a show that is run by a white by a bunch of white guys to be more representative of diversity well you get rid of some of the white guys and i would like to see more diversity in just the makeup of everyone who is creating doctor who period intersectionally <laughs> yeah and it's not even like get rid of all of the white guys because jamie matheson i think is a brilliant writer um i guess at galley over this weekend he wants to write a musical episode and i'm all for that like <laughs> i i have been wanting a musical episode of doctor who since forever like for a well, show that's one. <laughs> kind of 
Uh, <laughs> but for but for a show that is constantly about let's try this genre and let's try that genre, you don't have a musical yet. Like for all the problems that I have with Joss Whedon, just take his team, yeah, fly them to the UK for a couple of weeks and write me a musical episode. Like I want that so bad. It would you know? be great. It would, and, be, and I mean, Peter Capaldi is a rock I, star. I want to see Jamie Matheson write a rock opera in Doctor Who. That'd yeah, be- we have the perfect doctor for that right now. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm down. Yeah. Oh man, that's <laughs> oh. But yeah, I, it, yeah it, but it's... go like full rock, Rocky Horror with it. Like <laughs> lay all of your cards on the table with that, please. Yeah. I I just don't know. I I think um I'm interested to see where it goes. I think this season was an improvement, but well, what do we want to see for series? 10? It was just as like, problematic. Looking forward, what do we want to see in series ten? What I want to see in series 10 depends on the companion that we get. Uh, and that, I think, is where they can make the most progress as far as diversity goes. You know, if you have a character that maybe is actually explicitly queer instead of this hand waving that we got, or maybe you get a disabled actor in that role. Like, there's so many different ways that you can do this besides pretty cis girl. You know, because we did have Martha, we did have a black companion. You know, we could probably do that again, uh, or maybe an Indian. Uh, there's so many different ways that you can do this besides just casting, you know, someone that you think the audience is going to find attractive, because supposedly nobody cares about attractive. You know, because supposedly because Capaldi is over forty, nobody's watching the show for looks anymore, which is incorrect. Um, like, well, I love, I love that the, uh, the, uh, young white guys are the middle-aged white guys, uh, who, uh, are like, you know, oh, I'm so glad the fangirls don't have a pretty doctor to look at anymore, but, uh, give them a companion who isn't a 25 year old, uh, skinny white girl and, uh, you know, with pretty eyes and they lose their shit. Yeah. I think, uh, I still think a whole lot of the resistance to Donna is just that she wasn't, you know, explicitly eye candy. Mm. Uh huh. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, and I mean, also, by the way, Capaldi is hot, just in a different way. God forbid there be more than one kind of attractive. It, I, I'm just going to stop there before I go on a different soapbox. We've had a few of those tonight. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need any more. We done cleaned it out. But it's, yeah, it's hard to say what I would like to see going forward, because I don't know. I mean, it's like we've said before. Would I have wanted to see a female doctor? Not right now, because I wouldn't want wanted to have seen um, Stephen Moffat write a female doctor. Do I want to see a trans companion? Kinda, but not really, because I'm not sure how well that would like. I, I don't want to see. You, you'd have to get you'd have to get like a a trans person writing for the show at that point, or at least like a, a producer or something. Like, I I want to still be able to watch the show, and you know it's been cringeworthy, but it hasn't made me give up yet. And uh, so yes, that's my goal for the show is to not give up on it. So setting the bar real fucking low. <laughs> yeah, and the it's it's not even that the companion needs to be you know not a white girl you know right. the cast and characters around them you know also needs to be diverse and uh, you know we certainly we figured out how to have women act on the show you know i want um, more aliens i'll say that i want alien, yeah, aliens would be fun um also we were we were kind of fan casting this over on the web of queer probably about a year ago now about things that we'd like to see 
And one of the things that I don't remember who said it now, but one of the things you can do with the trans characters, introduce them as a child, take a few episodes off and introduce them as an adult. And the doctor is like, oh, you're that person. Fine. And nothing else is said. Leave it at that. And the doctor's yeah. completely fine with the transition. The doctor's like, yes, you are the exact same person. And the doctor moves on and you tell the audience that's what they're supposed to do too. Like, yeah, and I think that's the thing is there are such simple changes that could be made that would change the entire tenor of what is going on in Doctor Who right now. I mean, it isn't complicated. Like hiring female writers is, you know, Google exists. You know, like, like you know, it, it isn't hard to to hire people that don't look like you. Uh, it's just it, it feels like there's this institutional resistance. And whether that's Moffat or whether that's somebody above Moffat or what's going on. I mean, I think I mean, I, I'm I, I'm agnostic on that issue. You know, in 20 or 30 years, we'll see. We'll hear We'll We'll get we'll get the full story about what was really going on behind the scenes. Right now, I'm just saying there are institutional factors. I don't know if the, what name to put on them that are preventing yeah. this because it, it isn't complicated to to improve this situation and i i think we should yeah, yeah. it's not complicated but it is effort you, yeah. know, you do actually need to make it's, a point to say it's I slightly higher slightly people. harder than hiring all the white dudes yeah it, you know it's it's just that 10 percent more effort it makes. might make you feel slightly weird and uncomfortable but it's gonna have good results i promise all right, wrapping yeah. up, final <laughs> thoughts on Series 9. I mean, it, the funny thing is, I really did like Series 9. I think we all like Series 9, but yeah. we end up just kind of feeling like it's good, but it should do better. And that's yeah. sort of, I think, where I land on it, you know, in terms of a lot of these issues. Yeah. Yeah, I find I land on that with a lot of the shows I watch. You know, so it's not just Doctor Who that I pick on, which I think a lot of people think happens. I think a lot of people think, oh, you're only mad about Doctor Who. Oh, no, yeah, I just yeah. only ha like speak on a podcast about Doctor Who. I actually have a lot of issues with other shows, too. But, uh, you know, it, yeah, season nine is definitely better than season eight. You know, there's a lot of improvement was made, especially between the Doctor and Clara. Their relationship was solid. Yeah. And Clara's agency throughout the series was solid. You know, there's still, you know, there's a few pieces that might go wonky, but that's going to happen anywhere. You know, it, it's, I think the quality of most of the stories was high, you know, and, you know, even though I get frustrated with all of the Moffat Apologia that's out there, like, he is in charge of the show, he is responsible, and I do give him credit for making some of those steps forward, you know, but I think he can do more. I don't think that making a little bit of progress makes you un unimpeachable on these issues which is my frustration. Exactly. When, yeah. I feel very similar to it in the way that I feel um, about, you know, I identify as queer. I don't identify as bisexual or pansexual. Um, it, is, it is a specific part of my life because I, it is a part of my ideology, you know? Um, there are things that I bring to a situation that others don't. Same for each of you. You have your own unique background and um it's hard to say that like yeah i know there is a team of people working on this show and it is not just moffat's point of approval but you know if there's someone in the room saying hey you know shouldn't we worry about how the queers are gonna feel about this it's not showing through on the show and so yeah like i'm i'm gonna blame it on moffat yeah i do like that you can say the queers and i'm not actually offended by that statement uh, the way you said I, it. <laughs> I I kind of imagine I, I kind of had this uh, image of a, like a uh, like an old, I'm just an old country lawyer 
but shouldn't we think about how the queers feel about this? Uh, from from the way she had said that. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, like for fuck's sake, I don't even care if they wanted to. At this point, I look at things and I'm like, it's good business sense. Why wouldn't you want to appeal to your queer audience? Why wouldn't you want to say, like, you know, support this large part of your fandom that is saying it's feeling undersupported? Absolutely. So Anyway, but yeah, so, like, even this point at a financial dis- decision, I just imagine, like, somebody on the board of directors at the BBC should be like, you know, we should really be dealing with the queer issues, because that seems to be the thing to do. Right. Well, it's part of the BBC Charter. Like the BBC Charter says they're supposed to be inclusive to, you know, the population at large. Like like this, this is a part of what the BBC is supposed to do. This is government run television. So I think that complaining about this lack of representation is completely even more reasonable than it would be for a like a private business. Like yeah. the BBC is supposed to do this by law by its own yeah. argument. So, yeah. yeah. And for Doctor Who specifically, because it is such a flagship show, mm-hmm. you know, this is like the one thing that might save the BBC in general, you know, there's like right. two shows on the BBC and that's, those are the only two things that might actually keep that, you know, that, that in uh, the BBC in business, you know, it, it is what other shows are aiming to be. And if you see your flagship show being so inclusive, you know, you'll see that those are valuable things. Those are things you need to mm-hmm. do to be successful. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it actually is an actual trickle down effect. Some of those exist, <laughs> not with money, but some of those exist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We won't dig into that. We're, we're wrapping up here. I think uh, that's a good place to end it. Uh, Jessica, thank you so much for being on the show and coming on, helping us uh, kind of talk about series nine as a whole. And uh, I think we didn't talk a lot about Series 9, but I think we did at the same time, so I think it works out. Uh, tell our audience where they can find the Web of Queer if they haven't found it already. Yeah, so the Web of Queer, uh, you can find it basically anywhere as the Web of Queer. We're that on Twitter. We're thewebofqueer.com, thewebofqueer.libson.com, the Web of Queer on iTunes. And you can, we were very lucky to not have a name that everybody else had taken yet. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the the choosing of that name was very fun. So yeah, no. it's very and, democratic, uh, actually, which I find hilarious. And uh, uh, you guys do claim to speak for all queer people everywhere, right? Absolutely. We are the <laughs> only queer people that ever podcast. And our word is just, we're the only people who you should ever listen to on these topics. Yeah, I'm not really queer enough because I'm not on your podcast. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm taking your queer card away. Damn it. <laughs> and uh, if people wanted to uh, find you on Twitter, how can they do that, Jessica? On Twitter, I am Cobalt Blaze. Awesome. Uh, go follow Jessica. She's great. Um, you will hear the rest of our stuff in the uh, outro bit. And um, any final thoughts before we hang up here? Yeah, no, season nine, better than season eight. That's, that's where I land. Awesome. Agreed. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. And uh, next week, we are actually going to be doing Resurrection of the Daleks. Uh, We've got another guest for that. And um, until then, the TARDIS is closed. Peace, (laughs) y'all. Our theme music is Doctor Who Theme on Minimood by James Bragg. Find his YouTube channel at youtube.com slash hyperdust7 and his website at phoenix-flare.com. Daniel is also a regular host of the They Must Be Destroyed on Site movie podcast, which you can find at tmbdos.podbean.com. You can find all Oyce Spaceman episodes on iTunes or at our website, oyspaceman.libsyn.com, and our podcast blog is at oyspaceman.wordpress.com. 
You can email us at oyspacemanpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com, and you can find our individual Twitter accounts at Daniel Lee Harper and Inkyosa. That's I-N-K-Y-O-S-A. Comments and questions, welcome.